There we go. When I was like 13 or 14 years old, I was uh, during spring break one year. This is back in Wisconsin where I grew up. So like March time frame. Um, I, uh, I was, uh, got a job is at an apartment complex to clean up some of the, the debris in an uh, apartment complex that was being built. And um, it started out with promise, this job, because they flipped me the keys. Again, 13, 14 years old, they flipped me the keys to a, a Ford pickup truck, a uh, stick shift pickup truck, and said, you can drive it anywhere you want in the apartment complex. And it was, uh, it, was, uh, it was stick shift, and I didn't know what I was doing, but I was having a, a really fun time, just kind of shifting the gears and stuff like that. Fun until I got taken to where I was supposed to, to work. And uh, it turns out what I was going to do was, there was about a half of a pallet's worth of drywall that was out in front of this apartment building that had been left out through the whole entire winter from like in the fall to March. Now, March in Wisconsin is different than March in Colorado. See, March in Colorado is sunny, and, and we, I mean, it's a big snow month for us, right? We get a lot of snow in March, but what happens is it's like we're all excited about the snow while we're wearing like short sleeves and shorts and flip-flops, and then the snow comes and we bundle up and it dumps for a day or two, and then the sun comes back out. There is no sun in Wisconsin in March. It just isn't there. And so what happens is everything was real wet, including this pile of drywall that I had to clean up. It was completely waterlogged. So you'd think you'd be able to just grab a sheet of it, take it over to the dumpster, and throw away or half sheet at a time. No, as soon as you grabbed a sheet of it, it just kind of crumbled and it broke and just made a mess. And if you managed to get a chunk of it and like started to take it to the dumpster, it would like literally just crumble under the weight of itself as you were taking it. And then you had to clean up all of that stuff. And insult to injury, because it's so wet, I couldn't drive that pickup truck anywhere near this pile. So I had to walk it and you know the, the, the truck that dropped off the dumpster couldn't get the dumpster anywhere close to the pile because it would have gotten stuck in the mud. And so here I am carrying load after load by myself, 14 years old, and just just a mess. And some very early on in the process of those days of doing that job, I started thinking to myself, someday, someday I will move very far from this place. <laughs> someday I will move to some place warm and sunny and kind. Someday I will move to a place called Evergreen, Colorado, where the skies are always blue and the weather is always fine. Am I right? Can I get an amen? Here's the question. What do you do when you don't like what you do? What do you do when you don't like what you do? That's what we're going to talk about today. That's the, the question that we're going to answer today. In this, and really it's a question that, that we'll answer, answer kind of throughout this series called On the Clock, a series that's designed to help us find meaning in our nine to five, in what we do day in and day out. And what, you know, we're going to ask the question, what do you do when you don't like what you do? And you say, I don't like this. I, 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 don't, I don't think it matters. I don't think it's important. I'd like to put a bumper sticker on my truck that says, I'd rather be fill in the blank shopping or skiing or fishing. And I'd like to drive around all day listening to the song, I don't want to work. I just want to bang on this drum all day. 
You know, what do you do when you're feeling that way? That's what we're going to talk about today. Because honestly, I, I, I have days like that. This, as many of you guys know, if you know me, you know that I enjoy, I find a lot of meaning in what I do. And yet, to be honest, there's a lot of what I do that I dread. That there's just, I, I drag my feet trying to get to it. I don't want to do it. I wonder how important it is. There are days when I, I it's like the day is full, and yet I get to the end of the day, and I'm like, what, what actually happened? What actually got done? today, what was accomplished in my mind, nine to five, and maybe you're with me. Maybe you feel that way about your job or the things that you need to do. And so this sermon is dedicated to those of us who at times don't like what we do. This is a sermon for the white collar worker as well as the blue collar worker. This is a sermon for the new recruit and the retired person. This is a sermon for the student and the professional, for the unemployed and the self-employed, for the stay-at-home dad, and for the work-from-home mom. This is, a, this is a, a sermon for us all. This is for the one who swings the hammer, driving home the nail. Anybody? Work a 40-hour week for a living, just to send it all down the line. That's who this sermon is for. I'm going to stop singing now and start preaching. If you have your Bibles, open them to Colossians chapter 3. If you don't, we're going to have it up here on the screen. As you'll find, what we found, started to find last week, um, a guy named John Bowsman uh, preached the first sermon of this series. He did a great job. If you, have, if you want to listen to that, that's online or on, on our podcast. Um, but uh, he did a great job of setting up what we found last week and this week and the weeks to come. The Bible actually has a ton to say about our work. Uh, it, being such a big section of our lives, a big segment of our lives working, it, um, the, our Heavenly Father, it seems like, didn't leave us in the dark when it came to, to, to what it, it, saying something about what, what we do. We're going to look at a passage today out of, uh, out of Colossians, which is a letter that a guy named Paul wrote to some friends of his in the town of Colossae. And this passage we're going to look at in a second here helps us answer the question, what do we do when we don't like what we do? But just to warn you, I want to look at the passage leading up to where we're going to end up. And just to warn you, the ver this verse um, you might find unsettling, because it goes like this. It starts here. It says this. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Slaves, starts by addressing slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And for those of us who read our Bibles, sometimes we get to passages like this, and we're like, I'm not sure what to do with that phrase. I'm not sure what to do with that right there. And for those of us who don't read our Bibles, maybe that's, this, this verses like this are part of the reason why we don't read our Bibles. As, as we say, this is exactly why I don't read the Bible, because you know, maybe you believe in God and you think Jesus is cool, but I'm not sure about the Bible because I don't sure it can be trusted because of passages like this that seem archaic, out of touch, or even dangerous, talking about slavery. Before we get too far into it, I want us to look at the word that Paul uses here. For slaves, obey your earthly masters and everything. That word slaves is the Greek word doulos. And it can be translated slaves, servants, attendants, that kind of, that kind of thing. And see, the problem is, is when you and I hear the word slave, we automatically think slavery. I mean, it's pretty natural for that to happen. And when we think slavery, we're thinking of a specific image 
of, of the idea of one human owning another human. And that we resist, as we should, right? I mean, we grew up, you know, like, slavery is bad, freedom is good. To Paul's reading, here's the, here's the thing, that always had, uh, slavery to us always has, the word slavery always has negative con connotations, as it should. To Paul's readers, the word doulos was not necessarily a negative term. It was a very common word actually used to describe a wide variety of, of relationships, that some of them negative and some of them positive. For instance, it could be used to describe a slave owner to a slave, but it also could be used to describe just the simple relationship between a boss and a worker, or a boss and a servant. But here's the, here's the thing. It could also, the word doulos was used actually more often in a positive light. More often it was used to, to describe, you could use the word doulos to describe your relationship between you and your family as you serve one another. That I will become a doulos for you. It could be used uh, as, it's used very frequently, especially in the New Testament, as a, as a word to describe our relationship to God. We are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul uses it multiple times in Colossians that way. Like, hey, you are a servant of the Most High God. That was a very positive thing for Paul. And then here we'll actually see this in a little bit. This is actually, this word doulos is actually used a couple times to describe God's relationship to us. That there's some times where God is, is a doulos and serves us. Here's my point. Well, slavery for us is, is and always will be a negative derogatory term. To Paul's readers, doulos was not a negative term. In fact, by the, by when, he, when he said the word doulos, a lot of people would have said, yeah, that's me because I have a boss. If he was here today, if Paul was here today, and, and, and actually just let's do this for a second. How many of you would say you have a boss or somebody over you or someone you report to? Just show of hands. Go ahead and raise your hand. Paul would say, you are a doulos. Now, you, don't, you know you're not a slave. At least maybe, maybe some days you feel like a slave. But you know, and, and see, the point is, they, it was, it, he, wasn't trying to make, he wasn't trying to make or uphold the idea of slavery. Far from it, his, his readers would not have taken it that way. Rather, he was trying to encourage them towards a certain attitude towards their masters, towards their bosses, and therefore towards their work. Does that make sense? So let's, let's do this. Let's keep reading. Like it, Paul says this, Doulos, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you, and to, I love this phrase, curry their favor, but, when, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. He's saying, Doulos, servants, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it, it meaning those things that we don't like to do. The things that like, ah, just, I don't feel like doing this. He's like, do, do that stuff you don't like. Not just when they're looking. Not just when their eye is on you. That's easy. Everybody does that. Oh, quick, the boss is coming. And not in such a way that it curries their favor. And in order to, another translation is to win their favor. We all know how to do this, right? We all know, like, and when the boss is coming out, like, like he comes out about 6.05, I'm going to make sure I'm cleaning the microwave as he's walking out. And you're like, oh, hey, I didn't know you were here. I just saw this microwave was, you know, need to be cleaned. This is kind of what I do. <laughs> so, 
You know, like that's currying, that's doing something in order to win their favor. Paul says, don't do that. That's insincere. I want you to do things out of sincerity of heart. I want you to do things, and it uses, I want you to do things out of reverence for God, which is important because we don't always feel like revering the people who are over us, right? But Paul says you can do it out of reverence for God. And then he goes on to say this, whatever you do, do your work heartily. Another translation might say, do your work, do work with all of your heart. As for the Lord, rather than for men, for men. Notice what he doesn't say here. He doesn't say, when you feel good about what you do, do it with all your heart. He doesn't say, well, you know, when you like what you do, when you find enjoyment and fulfillment in it, then give it all you got. He doesn't say, when you know what you're doing, you know how important it is. When you know that, then you then work hard. Work heartily. He says, no. Whatever you do, which this Greek word, whatever, means whatever. <laughs> Anything. Everything. Whatever you do, do it heartily. Work at it heartily, as if unto the Lord, not for man. I don't... Especially since a lot of us, if you grew up in the church, you know this verse. I don't want us to miss the punch of this statement of what Paul is saying here. He's saying whatever you do, including the stuff you don't like to do, you can do it in such a way that you're doing it for God. In fact, in order to, to feel the punch, I want to rephrase it into a question. I feel like Paul is saying, you know, whatever you do, did you know... In fact, everybody just say that. Did you know? Say it one more time. Did, did you, you know? That was better. Did you know that you can actually do things in such a way that you're doing it for God? That's pretty cool. You can answer emails in a way that you're doing it for God. You can commute in a way that you're doing it for God. You can change diapers do dishes. You can do the tasks that you dread doing. You can do them for God. So Paul is giving his readers and, and us today permission to treat all their work as if it's God's work. As if they're doing it to God. See, and this is not, I want to make sure that this is not, it's not soft. It's not cliche. This isn't Paul trying to appease the masses and make them feel good about themselves. It's much deeper than that. There's some deep theology. There's, some deep, there's a deep belief about God that, that Paul has here about work. What he's saying when he says this is God is so big, he's so powerful, he's so sovereign, that he can use whatever you and I do to build something cool. You catch that? God is so big, he's so powerful, when he sees us working as if we're working onto him, like I'm doing these dishes, and I know I'm going to have to do these dishes in two hours, because that's just, that's just what happens with dishes, right? But I'm going to do that for God. God says, I can use that. I can do something with that. I know I, I, God sees that, he says, I know that you don't see the meaning and the value behind what you're doing right now, but I can turn that into, I'm so big, I'm so powerful, I can turn that into something meaning 
powerful and powerful if you'll do it for me. Isn't that cool? If God is that big that he can take our work and turn it into something meaningful. And Paul is giving us permission to say, did you know? You can, whatever you do, you can actually do it for God. Even if you don't like it, even if you don't find value. And what Paul is encouraging us to do is trust God. We've talked about our, our mission as a church is to lead people into growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do. Is, is every, every Sunday that we're together, we want to, to lead you into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. A relationship that's built on trust. And, and I want to encourage us to trust God when it comes to our work. Even if we don't like that work, even if we question its value, even if we wish we were over there, even if we think, oh, yes, it would have more meaning or more importance if I had this job. Paul is encouraging us, and I'm encouraging you, trust God in what you do and do it with all of your heart. See, when we do, when we work as if unto the Lord, not to men, not because that, that, that runs out of steam fast, when we work as if unto the Lord, it's basically us saying to God, I believe you are able to take this effort here, this thing that I don't like, and use it to do something meaningful. Did you know that God loves that kind of faith? He loves it when we move towards Him and trust Him that way. And He rewards it. Check this out. Verse 24. Whatever, in, in verse 23, He said, Whatever you do, work at it heartily, as if, as if unto the Lord, not unto, not unto men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Meaning, what you do today will be considered tomorrow. What you do today will be factored in tomorrow. How you do your work today can be rewarded tomorrow. And then he says this. Just to make it clear, he restates this. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. I know, I know, I know. It seems like you're just serving that cranky boss. I know, I know, it seems like you're, you're working hard for this corporation that you don't like. I know, I know, I know, it seems like you're serving customers that are very, very unappreciated. Or you're writing emails just to write emails. I, I know it seems like that. But it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. And that serve is our word, do us. It's the verb form of the word doulos, doulete. Here's what Paul is suggesting to us this morning, and here's what I want you to know. This is the big idea for this morning. When you don't know what to do, when you, I'm sorry, when you don't like what you do, don't focus on what? Focus on who? It is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve. When you don't like what you do, don't focus on what. Focus on who. Don't focus on what you're doing and how menial it is, how boring it is, how difficult it is. Focus on who you're doing it for and how great he is. So if you focus on what we're doing, if, we, if you and I focus on what we're doing too much, that'll be a real downer real fast. But if we focus on who we're doing it for, 
we'll find motivation. Because isn't this true? Like, like all God aside, just for a second, let's just, you know, like, let's put all God aside. Who is always a better motivator than what? Isn't it? Like, like if, we, if we're wanting to be you know, like, I got to do this homework, I got to do this project. If you do, if you're focusing on what, you're going to lack in motivation. But we know how what it's like to. I mean, think of what it's like to 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 uh, think of what we're willing to go through in order to give our kids the best. We focus on who, and therefore we do some some really really menial what stuff for our kids, right? Imagine like you, you like someone, you got a crush on a girl, you want to ask her out, and she suddenly says yes. What are you willing to do in order to impress her? About who? A lot, right? What are you willing to do for your spouse? You know, the, the who. Think of, of what we're willing to do and endure for our friends. What is, or who is always a more, uh, is, is more powerful, more motivator than what? Always. Now let's get back to God. Let's put God back into the equation. What would you be willing to do for the creator of the universe? What would you be willing to do for him? Like, 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 what would you be willing to do for a famous person, someone you admire that you haven't met, you get a chance to meet them? What would you be willing to do to get that opportunity? Translate that to God. What would you be willing to do for the creator of the universe? A lot, right? Let's put it this way, too. What would you be willing to do for Jesus? Who? Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this in Philippians. He's talking about Jesus. He says, who, being in the very nature God, who, who was in the nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing for us, taking on the very nature of a duos. A slave, a servant, and being obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, when we start to reflect on who God is and what He's done for us, when we start to, to, to think about that who, when we start to focus on who He is rather than what we're doing, it's very motivating. If Jesus was willing to die on the cross and be a servant to me, I guess I can serve him in changing diapers and doing these things that I don't like and working hard for a boss that's difficult to work hard for. That's the power of focusing on who rather than what. I want to end with an illustration that, that demonstrates how, how important the, the who is for motivating us. From the years of 1961 to 1972, NASA ran the Apollo program. I'm sure uh, all of us, many of us are familiar with it. Uh, the Apollo program put 12 men on the moon, including the first one, Neil Armstrong, um, I think 1969, is that right? What's interesting is for the 12, it, to put 12 men on the moon, it took 400,000 people. <laughs> There's 400,000 people recruited during that project. Mathematicians, engineers, technicians, scientists, not to mention administrators, factory workers, janitors. It must be honest, 400,000 people whose jobs overnight 
got a lot sexier. <laughs> you know, like, like they got a phone call and they were jamming their mathematician and they're like, honey, I'm sending a man to the moon. You know, all of a sudden, like, 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 like 400,000 people who had the pride of going around saying that, yes, I'm part of NASA. And yes, we were, we're going to put a man. I mean, yes, we're going to beat the Russians. You know, all the, you know, like they had all of the, like, indeed, there was a lot of pride and there's probably, there was a, a little bit of, of notoriety that came with it. In fact, um, in preparation for the sermon, I was, I was talking about, I was talking with a friend a couple weeks ago. I told her I was going to use NASA as a, as an example, and she said, oh, cool, my grandfather was actually part of the Apollo program. I was like, cool, what did he do? And she's like, he did the little psh, psh, jet things, this, you know, like for the astronauts, the little psh, I don't know what they're called. But you, know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, and, and I was like, that is awesome. I was like, what did he do before that? And she's like, I don't know. Because it's not NASA. You know, like, like this is like, it's so sexy to, to, to work on the little psh, psh things. But anyway, so, so here, here, in my mind, like, NASA to me, in my mind, this was, if there was ever a group of people who knew what they were doing, and what they were doing it for, to put a man on the moon, to do it for our country, to do it for all mankind, to do it to beat the Russians. The what was very, very clear. If there's ever a group of people who knew what they were doing exactly, it was them, right? Did you know that they still needed a who? Check this out. Partly through the project, somewhere along the line, George Mueller, who is the, the, the um, Apollo program manager, the guy who was in charge of like all of these moving parts. Imagine managing all of these departments and companies and you know like it's just insane to think about. He sensed in within the project as a whole, he sensed a weariness among people among the workers. Again, they knew what they were doing, but he sensed this weariness. And, and so guess what George Mueller did? He started sending Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong, uh, Gene Cernan, you know, like some of these, these astronauts. He started sending them to the factories to meet the workers. And what, you know, like, hi, my name is Buzz Aldrin. Thanks for doing what you're doing. Hi, my name is Neil Armstrong. You know, you, we couldn't do it without you. And because he knew, and he did this because he knew that every, with every handshake, with every autograph signed, he was reinforcing, and, and, and it was every time that that happened, it was a critical reminder to those who were working on the project that if they didn't do their job right, a man could die, not just any man, but that man, that I just shook his hand, could die if I don't do my job right. They, see, they knew what they were doing, right? We're going to put a man on the moon. That's pretty cool. But when they got a chance to meet who they were doing it for, all of a sudden, productivity increased, excellence increased, and thousands of people were motivated to give and do their best in the Think about this. This is a group of people who had one of the coolest what's in history, in human history, and they still needed a who. And so do you. So do I. What? is just not going to cut it. If we focus on what we're doing too much, it's crippling, isn't it? We're just not going to, we're, we're going to feel like we're spinning our wheels. We're going to lack in motivation. 
But what if we, instead of focusing on what, put our focus on who? What motivation might, might we gain? What greater sense of purpose might we enjoy knowing that we're doing it for Him? We're doing it for the Creator of the universe. We're doing it for Jesus Christ, our Lord, who laid down His life for us. What might we teach our kids as they see us working hard on things that they know we don't like, but we do it anyway? What attitudes might they pick up that we tell them they have in life, right? What peace might we find as we continually remind ourselves, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as if unto the Lord, not unto me. Isn't that freeing? Isn't that different than, ah, I'm just going to pull out my bootstraps, I'm going to work hard, but no. What if we said, no, I'm not going to say that today. Today, Lord, I, I, I'm feeling low. I, can I, I'm going to focus in on you. Would you give me the strength to do what I need to do? To work with all my heart as if I was working to you. What do you do when you don't like what you do? You focus on who, not what. You don't focus on what, you focus on who. We have a gift for you this morning. During the, the next song, we'd like to hand out one, uh, we've got a bunch of patches from NASA. I ordered them specially from NASA via Amazon. <laughs> and honestly, look, take one of these, um, take one or two of them if you'd like, there's plenty. And, and take them, and, and I think the best thing for you to do with this is go to the place where you don't like what you do. Whether that be work, whether that be you know, the, the, a spot in your house or a desk or whatever. Wherever that is, put, that, put this there to remind yourself to focus on who you're doing this for. So you don't get bogged down by what? Let's pray. Actually, during, during prayer, I want to I do something. Only if you're comfortable, but if you're comfortable, do this with me. Just open up your hands and put your palms up towards the ceiling. Lord, we offer to you the things we don't like to do. We offer you the jobs, the tasks that bog us down. And we ask this morning that you would take them and replace them with you. My prayer for, for the, the songs to come and, and, and the hours to come and days follow after this is that we would focus on you and who you are. And in faith and in trust, and belief that, that you can take those things, those menial tasks, and make something meaningful out of them. Help us to work with all our heart as if unto you, not unto me. Pray this in your name.